Well, what qualifies you to say that? Back in the summer of 2000, I was getting ready to go to a minister's conference from Indiana to Branson, Missouri. We had a week-long conference we went to every year. And we were just about ready to walk out the door. I was walking through my dining room. And the Lord spoke to me. And, you know, when you get used to Him speaking where you know it's Him, unless He really reverberates like He does sometimes, just a still small voice, if you're busy doing other things, you hear it, you know it, you say, okay. You just keep on going. We were getting ready to leave, had all the kids and everything packed. And He said this to me. He said, I want to be your prayer partner. Well, my kids went to Mooresville Christian School at the time, and in the, in the Christian school is one of the things in the Christian school was everybody in the school had to have a prayer partner, somebody in the school that they prayed with in the school. And so I knew what he talked about. And so I said, okay. We drove. A couple of days later, we're at a service there at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I sit in about the second or third row back about where Joe Mumford sitting at or Frank and Pam. And I'm sitting there, and I always take two things with me when I go to a conference. I take my journal, my personal journal I write in. I take my regular notebook. I take notes in for service and stuff, like I preach it up this little black notebook I always carry. And I'm sitting there listening to the speaker, and all of a sudden, it dawned on me what he said to me a couple of days before. And when it did, I went, ah! I thought you were my prayer partner. Now, that's what a lot of you think. You think he's your prayer partner. I'd been in the ministry for a lot of years. I had a good, solid prayer life. I was very, very sanctified. I lived a fairly holy life. As far as, you know, the world stuff all around us goes. I mean, I wasn't, I don't do bad things. And so, when he said that, and I realized that, I didn't feel any goosebumps or anything. I didn't get any chills. I just dawned on me what he says. So I wrote that down in my journal and then went ahead to the day's things at the seminar. And the next morning we had a little, it's a real fancy place called, what's it called? The Crystal something, whatever. Chateau on the Lake. Yeah, a real fancy place. We had rooms, two, three hundred dollars a night. Real, real super fancy place. And so, they had this little patio, and I went out of the little patio, was on way up in the high floor. I went out there, sitting out there, drinking my coffee, got my journal out. I thought, man, oh man, if he wants to be my prayer partner, I better find out what he's talking about. And so I just started writing things down as I sat there praying. It couldn't be out there very long because we had to get to the next meeting that morning get us started again. Anyway, over the next several months, I ended up where I, I spent hours and hours a day with the Holy Ghost. I lost 50 pounds, not that I was purposely fasted, I just didn't have time to eat. <laughs> I mean, I went from, whoop, down to beanpole. And my family didn't see me much, people didn't see me much, but the Lord began to talk to me about our country. This was a year before 911. I heard the explosions of 911. A year before they happened, I heard it in September of 2000, and uh, it was so real. When I heard it, I remember what I did. I heard, started hearing these explosions. I ran out and looked out my front door and said, you hear that? You hear that? Nobody heard it. I said to the Spirit a year ahead of time. I heard that. And then the Lord told me, didn't tell me what the specifics were, but he said this to me. He said, no blood's been shed on American soil in war since the Civil War. And I told her at the church we started praying. I said, man, oh man, this is not good. This is not good. This doesn't look good. This is not good. And then... 
he began to talk to me about our nation. And he said this to me in the God voice. The God voice, all I know to say it because it's a scary voice. It's not scary, but it shakes you up because you know it's the real God talking to you. It's not just a still small voice. It's the voice of God talking. And probably most of you have experienced a still small voice where you just know something or you feel something or you sense something. Maybe some of you have heard the voice of God sometimes. But when he talks the real God voice, man, when God talks, you listen. He said, in the God voice, he said, what always precedes the major move of God? Well, you know, most know-it-all Christians, when somebody says something to them, oh, I know that, I know that. Well, I know a lot of the Bible. I knew a lot of the Bible then. But when God told me what always precedes the major move of God, I said, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." I'm not going to tell you, because if, if you ask me, you want to teach me something. And if I get my big mouth in the way, you're not going to be able to teach me. So all I said was, in a really, really, really weeny voice, I said, I don't know, sir. You'll have to tell me. Because <laughs> it's really scary when God's getting ready to teach you something you don't know. And so I said all that, and about a week later, all of a sudden, he says, prayer. He says, I always call my people to position of prayer first. Always. And I said, okay. And so then he started typing the word of God. And I saw several, several, several Bible examples of that. How many know that when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, it says they cried out to God. When God's people decide to get serious, start crying out to God, not picketing, not petitioning, not whining, and say, God, only you can change our nation. Amen. Then you got God's attention when you get your eyes off everybody else. And you know, I think it ought to be about time for Christians in America to quit trying everything else and cry out to God again in America. Amen. Amen. And then a week later, he said, the next thing follows the major move of God is leadership. He said, I always raise up leadership next. When people cry out, God raises up somebody to leave them in the move. And so then he took me back to the book of Exodus again. In the book of Exodus, they cried out, and this says God sent Moses. Amen. He sent Moses. Think about the book of Acts. Book of Acts starts off, 120 believers, upper room, praying. Out of the upper room comes Peter, James, and John, the leaders. And the church started. And then a week later, he said to me, prayer, leadership, then unity. He said, my people always get unity. Well, you look at the book of Exodus. Cried out to God. Moses came, they got behind Moses, and they followed him out. And then you look at the book of Acts. One of the keys to the book of Acts, they're all one heart, one accord. One mind, one soul. One heart, one accord. One place, one heart, one accord. Major move of God. That started the church age we live in now. And he took me through the Bible and just showed me example after example after example. Look at Gideon. You know, I'm, I'm saying things maybe some of you don't know, but 
we're just talking about this now, but all those times in the Bible, it was God's people in trouble as a nation. People got serious. They prayed the God way. God raised up leaders that they would follow. They got in harmony together, quit shooting each other, started working together, and God started moving. And at the start of that discourse, when he talked to me, I said, Lord, what do you consider a major move of God? And that's the first time he told me to go to Exodus. I went to Exodus. I thought, oh boy, I can't wait to learn here. He said, look up the title of the book. I looked up the word Exodus. And you know what the word Exodus is? Big move. (laughs) It's called Mass Exodus. Big move. And so, I just want to say this. You all that are coming on Sunday night, I say to you in the name of Jesus, you're not here by chance or accidents. You're here because God believes your hearts will receive what he's got for you to hook up. Because God wants a big move in America. Amen. And, you know, I'll tell you this. You know, I've got things I want to look at, really important things here. But when you start getting in the presence of God, back at those times, I would seek him back in Indiana. This was a few years before that, but our church has 63 days of Holy Ghost meetings. I had a big banner made on the front of my church up here across the altar, and it said, Welcome Holy Ghost. Because we wanted the Holy Ghost of God in our church to do what he wanted to do. It said, Welcome Holy Ghost. We had so much power of God in that church, in this little 12,000 population town in Martinsville, Indiana. We had, uh, I think we had two traffic lights. One of them was right in front of our church. We had 63 days of meetings, not just stopping for off days, 63 straight days, just seven days a week, all the time, people praying and things. People would stop that little traffic light, then they'd go park the cars, didn't even know what was going on, a little storefront church. It wasn't a big fancy place of a steeple. All it was was a little place that used to have a, a video shop in it before we got to the building we were in. Just had two glass windows in the front and the door in the middle. The place was about as wide as open that, maybe that wall over there, maybe this row. I don't know if it's that, I don't think it was that wide. That wide, but it was about as deep as this whole building here because everything was straight back. So we had about maybe a half a dozen seats on one side and a half a dozen seats on the other side because that's all it could handle to get up the middle. Well, that, that place ended up sometimes with 100, 150 people in it. People would walk through the door and get slain in the Spirit. They'd do nothing about it. And they'd stand up healed, speaking in tongues, and all kinds of things happened such as that. I'll never forget one of the most amazing sights I ever saw was an Indianapolis Colts football player. He was an alternate or something on the football team. And I remember I was walking around praying for people. This guy was on his knees, and this guy was about that wide. And on his knees with his hands up, I looked up at his hands and he was on his knees. His hands were up as high as my head on his knees. And that football player from the Indianapolis Colts was there crying and weeping at our altar. And God was changing lives and changing hearts. Well, during those meetings of that particular series of Holy Ghost meetings, I got so much power of God working in me, I couldn't shake people's hands. I would go like that. And they'd fly up against the wall, slain the spirit because of the power of God coming out of me. And I'd go to help them up, and they'd fall back down again because the power of God come out of me. And that, that's not lifted up me at all. I consecrated myself to the Lord. And the more that I got out of the way, the more he could have his way. And 
the thing about that is, if you stop and study the Gospels, that happened in the book of Acts. It happened in the Old Testament through the believers in the Old Testament that will let God have them. And you tell me this nation won't change if people start walking around with that kind of power again? Do you know the book of Acts that says that Peter was so full of the power of God that people said, let's just get close to his shadow. They got this close to the shadow and they got healed. Amen. Show you a couple of things out of the bookstore. This here is really good. I was looking at some of these chapters. They're called Pray for Our Nation. Pray for Our Nation. I don't know about you, but I've had all I want of this C-R-A-P-P-Y nation. I don't even want to say that word, but that's what I see in our nation. It's, it's not good. And the only thing that's going to change this nation is not elections. It's going to be Jesus. Amen. Amen. We have got to get to the place where we know how to pray. We consecrate ourselves to pray, and then we pray. Uh, this process in the plan of God through prayer, I haven't actually taught out of that yet, but that book's in me. It comes out of me everything I'm preaching and teaching. Uh, Katie has another 20 ordered. She's having trouble getting them in here. They'll come in. They've got them. She just hasn't been able to make the connection yet. They're paid for. They'll be coming in here. Three people have already paid for theirs. If you want these books, let Katie know. She'll put you on the list because she's going to sell out of them again. Because the spirit of prayer has fallen on this church for people to pray. And so anyway, those will be coming in again. All right. Open up to, well, we got the first one cut up here. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Acts 13, verse 22. I am so glad that this church is hungry for more God. I'm so glad for that. You know, I think about California. That the Lord would not transplant me and my family from Indiana to California just to go to a wild goose chase. And Indiana and California are no different. They need God. I'm a leader. So to me, it's very evident somebody in California cried out to God. He sent me as one of the leaders of California. Amen. Amen. And... Because of that, if I'm going to lead people in California, he's going to give me a church that's in unity of California to follow my leadership and do what he wants to do. People that love each other, people that want to serve God together, people that have a hunger for God, people that don't want to just play church, but they want to walk with God and see their families changed. And so I think about that, and I think about where we are now. It's only taken 11 years to get to the time where I could talk about this and start teaching this and imparting this. Acts 13, verse 22. I want you to look at the end of the verse. I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, but shall fulfill all my will. And I want to, let's see, I, well, Joe's a likely candidate. Man, he's sitting right there. Joe, you're a target to get this close. Do you see what I wrote in my Bible by that? I have found what? Bernie. The son of? Barney. Right. In my Bible, I wrote, I have found Bernie, the son of Barney, because that's my life verse. What's your life verse? Well, years ago, I was at a seminar on life training for goals and different things in life. And the, and the minister said, everyone needs to have a life verse. And then he said, what a life verse is, says that's, 
that, 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 that's a verse that when you stand in front of Jesus and you hear Jesus make the speech over you want him to make, you tailor your life around that verse. You conform your life to that verse. You live your life around that verse. I want to hear Jesus say to me, you were a man after my own heart. You fulfilled all my will. And so that verse there, to me, that's why I could pack up everything and leave Indiana and come to California. And all the stuff we had accumulated out of, I was 54 years old, 54 years of living. Everything would pit in the Pisky truck, was in it, things that didn't. Called family, called friends, church members. Gave a church building away, had a big church building. Gave it away, left our personal stuff there, said, first come, first serve, come and get it, whatever you want you can have. And if you don't want anything, give it away, but this is all fit in our truck, and we're going to California. And we came to California because the Lord put in my heart, Bernie, the son of Barney, I want you to go to California, they need you. And so I lived my life around that. That's why we came here to California my family was willing for a season to even live in the building over there. And everything I had, every, all of our earthly possessions were under tarps over there, keeping the dust of the scorpions and the black widows off our stuff to protect our stuff long enough till we got a house and things. We went through a lot of things out here to be to where we are. But I'm telling you that when you get a heart after God to where you're willing to do whatever he wants you to do, things don't matter to you anymore. Your bloodline with Jesus becomes stronger than your bloodline with your family. Things begin to change. And when I say that, people understand what I'm saying. When you become bonded to Jesus, your family will be better taken care of than ever before. When Jesus becomes your number one love, he will do things for your family you could never do. And so anyway, that's my life first. And so that's my goal in life. That no matter what phase I'm in, I'm in an interesting phase right now. I'm going through changes in life right now that uh, my mind don't really understand, but I'm hooking up with it to follow the plan. I'm 65 years old. I thought that might be time that I could slow down, wind down, do something different, but he's kind of changing the direction and turning up the power again. Why is that? Because I gave him permission to. I let him do it. So anyway, I want you to look at Luke 11, 1 again. To show you how, to, how we get to where we are, Luke 11, 1, this is the verse we've kind of used as a theme verse in these things that we're teaching. Luke 11, 1 says, And it came to pass that as he was praying, and I wrote that, you know a lot of things in your life are never going to come to pass till you're praying. I want to say that again. There's things in your life are not going to come to pass until you're praying. He said, at a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I believe there's people in this church sitting right here tonight. You cried out to God, teach me to pray. And he said, okay, I'll send Pastor Samples. He said, he'll teach you to pray because I taught him to pray. And so Jesus, through the word of God, by the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, is still the best prayer teacher there will ever be. Through the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, Jesus is the best prayer teacher there will ever be. 
Jesus is in heaven, by His Spirit He lives in our hearts, that read Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, says He said in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to teach the saints. And so that's why I'm here. One day this week, you know, I want to show you how this works fellowship with the Holy Ghost. I have a lot of good stuff there, and I hope that I get to it. But if I don't get to it, that's because the Holy Ghost is ready to do something different. We'll do it. One day this week, in my prayer closet, I have room in my house, have my chair, my stuff right around me, all my tools I need. What's your tools you need? My Bible, my journal, different reference books and things I need to pull out while I'm sitting there praying. One day this week, I've sitting there fellowship with him in the Word of God, and all of a sudden, he took me to Nicaragua. Going to be there in, what, 10 days, 11 days? Took me to Nicaragua. And so then he started taking me through the lives of the people going with me. And so the Holy Ghost took me a week and a half in advance to where we're going and started showing me things, speaking things, praying for things in the lives of the people going with me, getting things set up. He always sets things up. And I thought, well, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. So I, I spoke out what he told me to speak out. I prayed what he told me to pray. And then I thought I was going to get back to where I've studied the Bible at. Then he started taking me through the lives of all my children. From the oldest to the youngest, start taking me through their lives right now, through the lives of their mates, through the lives of my grandchildren, and showing me things to speak out, come against, to speak into existence, start to pray for things, to do things, because the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost knows more about your past, about, the Holy Ghost knows more about your future than you know about your past. And so he needs people to pray out, to prophesy, to speak out future things he wants to come to pass. Where do you think that comes in? Prayer partner. Prayer partner. And so the reason he's able to change my agenda that day for writing in my journal things I was going to write and places I was going to study right then is because I gave him permission to control my agenda. I give him permission to control my retirement. I give him permission to change my job career over the years when I was a truck driver, change things, do things. I give him permission to change things in my family. I give him permission to change things in my church. I give him permission. I get in position, which is what we want to talk about tonight, of hanging out with God. We hang out with God, good things happen. God things happen. Amen. And so, and so, uh, Jesus is the best one to teach us. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 9. I'll look at some of these verses. Some of them I'll spend more time on than others. But as a Bible teacher, I know that faith cometh by hearing the Word of God, according to Romans 10 17. So, what I knew, I hesitated for a year for doing what we're doing now. Because I told you, I wanted to wind down more. And I knew that if I'm going to start getting the spirit of prayer in the church, then i got to start consecrating more and lay down more of my own life again. I didn't want to lay down more of my own life again. And so the Lord dealt with me for a long time about getting this going again in this church like I wanted to. And so as I prayed about it, I knew the only way this church would have faith for praying was to start laying a foundation from the Word of God to build up faith for praying. You know, let, let, let me hit one side note bunny trail real quick one. 
There's people in your life that have addictions, that are sexual perverts, and things in their life aren't right. And you can't just tell them to get over it. It's going to take, number one, them having faith to get over it. The only way they're going to have faith to get over it is them to get some word into them. And so you need to be praying for people in your lives They'll start getting a hunger for God, hunger for the Word of God, because when demons have holds on people, you can't just get over it. The devil leaves when you tell him to in the name of Jesus. And reading the Bible, in Acts chapter 19, I think it is, there's seven, there's seven preacher sons named Sceva. The priest's name was Sceva, had seven sons. And they said, come up to a demon-possessed guy, and they said, we adjure thee by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Come out. And it says that that one man for the devil beat up these seven preacher sons, left them bloody and wounded, because they spoke the name of Jesus, but they didn't live for Jesus. And so the name of Jesus is the most powerful name in the universe. But if you live for the devil, you have no power. And if you want to know about power, ask him. As she'll tell you about power, she told us a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and that's what we've got, if we learn how to tap into it, is the power of God. So I say this again. You've got people out there that have no connection with God at all. And when you chew them out, get on their case, and read them the riot act, about just get over it, way down the inside, they're saying, I want to, I want to, I want to, but I can't. Well, you're the key to their deliverance. When you get on your knees and you begin to pray with the right kind of prayer, the effectual, fervent, righteous prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. When you begin to pray that kind of prayer, God will start getting a hold of their heart. And all of a sudden, they're going to start asking you, Hey, can you tell me that verse you told me before? I know that I got mad at you and cussed you, but I want to know that verse. Where's that verse at? Because God gets a hold of their heart. When you cultivate this atmosphere in your family, things just come to me as I'm preaching now, so I'm just going to throw things out. My little grandson stayed all night with me Wednesday night or Friday night. Had the ladies meeting over here at the church. They stayed with me. You know what they're saying to me on Friday night? Grandpa, will you get tomorrow morning? Will you read us the Bible? Grandpa, will you read us the Bible tomorrow morning? Well, they want me to read the Bible tomorrow morning because their daddy reads the Bible in the morning where they live at. And why does the daddy read the Bible where they live at? Because their daddy used to read their daddy the Bible. You know what? My daddy had six boys and a girl. My daddy gambled, drank, partied, and boozed. So you know what me and all my brothers did when was little? Daddy, will you teach us to drink? Daddy, will you teach us how to do that? Daddy, teach us how to turn those cards. Daddy, teach us how to do this. You know what my daddy taught us? How to play cards, move cards around. How to drink booze. How to be able to try to pass a sobriety test if you got pulled over. All those kind of things. And so, what I'm saying right now, just keep a straight face. If this is you, nobody know that God's talking to you right now. If you want your kids to know God better, your grandkids, maybe you better start knowing Him better. If you want your kids to know how to be better crooks, then you keep on being a better crook. And I know that's not talking to anybody here tonight. I know that. Well, somebody, so, somebody said, well, that's not talking to me. Well, how come when you got that thing didn't belong to you and your kids saw it? You said, that's okay. I found it. And they knew you didn't find it.
Moving right along. Somebody said, well, how do you know that? The Holy Ghost is using me right now. That's how he knew that. Amen. And so chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you're called. Now look at this. To the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is the will of God for all of us to fellowship. For all of us to fellowship with Jesus. Every single day of our lives. Every single day of our lives. Fellowship means friendship. Hanging out together. Fellowship means friendship. Hanging out together. The Greek word is K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Koinia. Koinia. And that means open communication. A sharing of the heart. Have things in common. Have things in common. Do you know that the people, the people that hang out in bars and taverns and party places, you know why they're there? There's a God-given call in every human spirit saved or unsaved to have companionship, fellowship, hang out with people. And do you know that the bar scene is Satan's counterfeit for the church? People come in there to the bartender for the bartender to serve them spirits. Have you ever seen bars where it says spirits? It says spirits served right there? Well, the bartender, they come to them and they get enough under the false anointing of the wine, they begin to cry out their problems to the bartender. And the bartender begins to give him the ungodly counsel about what to do. They bring their offerings in, sometimes their whole paycheck. People get mad about Christians giving 10% to God, yet they think nothing of Somebody gives their whole paycheck to the bartender. Satan's counterfeit. They want to hang out and fellowship on the negative side in the bars. Everything that God has right, Satan has a counterfeit for to deceive people. And so, I think about us. Last night they had a thing out at Joe and Nadine's, uh, what do you call that, the bonfire on the beach or something? Out there, the young adults out there like that, because the young people in this church want to hang out with somebody who doesn't want to do drugs and alcohol and perverted sex and wrong things. And I praise God, I praise God that young people in this church are coming together for a holy fellowship, having something in common. Back back in my days, when I get, used to get invited things for as a Christian, they put a thing in the bottle of invitation, B-Y-O-B, bring your own booze. And so we got a thing in our circles to call BYOB, bring your own Bible. We bring our own Bibles to our fellowship. We got something in common. We want to know Jesus better. We got something in common. We, we pray. We want answers. When our family is delivered, we want anointing. That's what we've got. And so, and so this fellowship, he's called us into to have something in common. So if we're going to be fellowship with Jesus, then we're going to have something in common with Jesus. And so we'll just keep on moving along. I want to stay moving. Uh, write this verse down. I'm going to look at it. But you can write it down. 2 Chronicles 16.9. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. In behalf of them whose hearts are fully committed. King James says perfect, but that means fully committed to him. His eyes, God's eyes, you know... A few years ago, I never thought about it. 
the things you don't think about till God talks to you. But the Bible has much to say about God sees God's eyes. God hears. God's got ears. It talks about the arm of the Lord. And a lot of things it says. And then it dawned on me, wow, God really does have eyes and see what I'm doing. He really does have ears and hears what I'm saying. Not just what I'm praying, but here's what I'm saying every day, all the time. He watches where I go. He watches who I hang out with and sees things going on. And said his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. I want to say that again, to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed. Fully committed. Fully committed. I want to say this. That God is no respecter of persons, but is a respecter of faith. God's eyes are looking across the whole earth. And I think about my life verse. He said, I found David. Well, he found David because his eyes were looking. He were looking for a David. He were looking for a Bernie Samples. Looking for a Joe Mumford. Looking for a Joe Samples. Looking for a Lawrence Mata. Looking for a Reuben. God's eyes are looking for men and women who say, Jesus, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, and then prove it by their lives. And I want to say again, he said to show himself strong. To me, that means answered prayers with the power of God's in your life and people see it and people know it. And so God's presence and power has always been evident for all to see in the life of people that sell out to Jesus. Always seen. Look at John chapter 4. And I'll say it again. I'll keep on saying it. Get used to bringing your Bibles to church. Something to write with, a pen, pencil, a journal. Get used to doing that. And, you know, it's fine to have Bible apps on iPads and tablets and phones and all that kind of thing. But it's so nice when you can take and put yellow through it and red and write notes in your Bible and be able to see it again. And, you know, I just dare to say what happens. I'm very, very, very reluctant to record important information on uh, modern technology only. I keep my stuff, important spiritual things to me and things God says to me, written down so I can find them and the stuff crash, they pull the plug on stuff, things like that. You always try to say, wow, 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 wow. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I got over 30 years worth of journals and stuff. I go back and look at what God said to me and verses I got because my stuff's not going to be lost through modern technology. I'm be able to find stuff. So John chapter 4. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus said, The hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers... How many want to be a true worshiper? Amen. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. I found David, a match of my own heart. The Father seeketh. God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. If he was seeking then, he's seeking now. The Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And so not only are we to seek God with all our hearts, but we must know God is seeking believers. We're seeking, but God is seeking believers that will worship him. Had you ever thought about that before? We're supposed to be seeking God, but it says God is seeking us. God is seeking believers that will worship him. I remember one time, and I've seen this so many times now since I'm in the ministry. I was a young Christian. Anybody ever heard of Brother Jerry Savelle? Jerry Savelle out of Texas. He, he was brought up under Brother Culpa's ministries. But I remember I heard him in South Bend, Indiana, at Dr. Lester Summerall's church. And Jerry Savelle then, man, he was a young guy, probably in his 20s. I mean, he was just, you know, maybe 30. Just getting started. Been around just a couple of years. And I remember he was at Dr. Summerall's. He's about crying. He said, the Lord had a church for me to go to. And when I got there, and they found out I spoke in tongues, they wouldn't let me come in and preach and do what I was supposed to do. He said, Jesus, they won't let me in. And said, Jesus said, Jerry, they won't let me in either. And so since that point in time, as a man of God, as a pastor, groups that God sent me to, people he's wanted me to minister to, when they rejected the word of God that I had, I knew they weren't rejected me, they rejected Jesus, what he had for them. And I'm talking about Christians sometimes that are more religious-minded than they are New Testament taught. Because when we're taught the Bible, the New Testament, what God has for us, Romans 12, 2 says, it's renewing our mind to change our religious thinking to think like God thinks in the Bible. Amen. And so that ought to help some of you sometimes to know that when you're walking in love with people trying to help them and you want to help them with the word of God, the love of God, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus through his words you have for them. Amen. And so it says the father is seeking. He's seeking people that will worship him. And so remember, you know, I saw something a while ago this afternoon when I was praying I'd never seen before. About David. Said, I found David, son of Jesse, a matrimonial heart, and he was seeking. So uh, God found him, God sought him, and David was a worshiper. He wrote many of the Psalms. He played the harp, and God's anointing would fill the room where King Saul was. He was a worshiper. He wrote many of the Psalms. They came out in a time of worship. I spent a time with him, and the presence of God was so strong that an evil spirit influenced the king, left the room, caused the anointed God come in from a young man that was a worshiper. God is seeking worshipers. How many here have ever heard of a psalm called the 23rd Psalm? The 23rd Psalm was written by a young shepherd boy, spent time in the presence of God. The 23rd Psalm came out. And at many funerals today, the 23rd Psalm is always read. Well, I heard a story years ago. I don't really know if this is a true story or not, but it's going to get across a point to you is this. How many have ever heard real religious, super-duper educated preachers that could say all the words with the pronunciations of all the different things, really theological, homological, correct, and all those kind of things, but you left there, you didn't feel anything. You thought, man, what, what did I get? I, I just don't really feel that great about anything, man. He was really a good religious guy and had a lot of people out there listening to him. Nobody said amen. Nobody raised their hands. Nobody got changed. 
They come in, they come in depressed, and they're left more depressed. You know, and things like that. Well, anyway, I heard about a guy like that one time. There was a, there was a revival getting ready to start, and they had different people speaking. And this religious guy got up there and began to do all of his eloquence, and he said, the Lord is my shepherd, emphasize the right words, and the more he talked, the more they started yawning, they started falling asleep. Then another man came up there, and he had been in the presence of God. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And when he said that, the anointed God, the power of God fell on the church. Everybody started getting blessed, blessed because the Lord really was his shepherd. He wasn't reading about somebody in the Bible. The God of the Bible was a part of his everyday life. He fellowshiped with him. And that's the difference between the life of a believer, a preacher, a believer that walks with God and somebody that just knows about God. Does that help anybody? Amen. And so to worship the Lord, worship is a, is a form of prayer, but to worship the Lord is to fellowship with Him. Worship isn't only what we do on Sunday or on Wednesday in church. Worship is intended by God to be our lifestyle. It's to be our lifestyle. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus said the Father seeks somebody to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so that means what's in your heart for the Lord comes out in your words and actions. What you do every day is going to be worshiping the Lord or grieving the Lord. You guard who you hang out with. What your eyes look at on TV, the Internet, video games. You guard what your ears listen to. In music. You guard what your ears listen to in music. And you know, I just have to throw this out there, especially for all the young people. We've got a lot of wonderful young people in the church that are young Christians that are starting off your faith walk. We have learned over the years, just because a Christian band says Christian, doesn't mean they live the life of a Christian. And just because they say Christian songs doesn't mean they're really Christian songs in life, the Bible songs. If they spend more time with worldly things than they do read their Bibles and hanging out with Jesus, then more worldly things are going to influence their words. <clears throat> I remember we'd been here, what, three or four years, we started having those Christ- Christian concerts. Man, I knocked those things off after a couple of years. We had, uh, where's Pastor Dave? Pastor Dave, how many people we have in this building, that one concert we did? 1,500, 2,000 people had these really famous super-duper Christian bands. They come in. I let them rebuild our stage. They built the stage out to about here. They had it all built up with level, the same level everywhere. They had so many instruments, smoke machines, glitter lights, and all the goofy stuff they do. They get all the attraction. They drew a crowd, but they didn't draw God. We had about I think about a dozen Porter Johns out there for the crowds, had Porter Johns all over everywhere, had security, had people standing room, all the chairs were out here, people standing everywhere. Uh, to get that many people, you know they were standing. The patio was filled up with people, I had vendors out there selling souvenirs, and what a circus, what a sideshow. And then we had bragging rights, but not on God, 
We had bragging rights. I think there was five Christian bands a part of that deal. And they were big. I don't know these guys because I don't, I don't follow Christian bands. And so I had about five of the biggest nationally known Christian bands that were at this place here. And after all said and done, I stopped to think about it. What would we just do? Well, we could brag. That church over on Highway 58 had 1,500 people there for that concert. What did that do in the eyes of God? Goofed up kids came in, goofed up kids went out. I don't know what this stuff is they do. I can't remember what they call it now. They had big old security lines up here. And they had security working the crowd stuff. These kids, I don't know what they call it, bumping or something, man. They'd jump around bumping, knocking each other over. I don't know what they call it. What they call that? You remember? What they call it? Huh? I don't, I can't hear what they're saying. Anyway, it was so stupid. If somebody's going to fall in my church, I want to be the power of God, know who would be touching them. And I don't want them to get up with bumps on their heads and maybe sue the church because they got hurt in the church. I want them to go down with bumps on their head and come up healed. I'm doing better preaching than you are something. Amen. Amen. If you want a rock concert, this is not the place. We want the God conscience. Conscience of God. Conscience of God. Where they come in this place. We want the bumps to disappear. We want the drugs to disappear. We want the addictions to go. We want the perverts. Somebody said, Pastor, don't use that word. There's too many perverts in churches. Too many perverts preaching in churches. We want the perverts delivered. We want the people living right, living clean, living holy to where we can trust them to be around our wives and our daughters and our children. Amen. And our little boys. And so, uh, worship the Father means what's in your heart comes out in your life. You guard who you hang out with. Look at 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. I told you this morning this wasn't for the faint-hearted tonight. This is for people who want a God change. Verse 14 says, he closed off this book, Paul did. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion... How many take communion here first Sunday of the month with us? Amen, or take communion somewhere. Okay, communion is a time to come into the presence of God. He said the communion of the Holy Ghost. The communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all, not just your preacher. He said it's the will of God for you to have communion with the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Ghost is a real person. Holy Ghost is a real person. I don't want to go into too deep with this, but I want to tell you something that you may not know. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God that's everywhere. The Holy Ghost is the person of God. You have God the Father is a person. God the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. God the Holy Ghost is a person. He wants the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, the friendship the hanging out of the Holy Ghost to be with you all. That's what he wants. That's why I could be in my prayer closet and all of a sudden, in the Spirit, I'm looking around Nicaragua. I've seen people with me 
on the trip to Nicaragua. I've seen Nicaragua and I've seen things, coming against things, binding things, loosening things, believing for God to be doing what he wants to do with us going and coming because there's going to be more to Nicaragua than the people going to Nicaragua. There's going to be a unity coming to people in Nicaragua that's going to be able to minister so God can do what he wants to do that's going to come back to this church and spread. Amen. It comes through prayer and fellowship of the Holy Ghost. And so, you must learn how to cultivate the atmosphere that the Holy Ghost can hang out with you in. you got to learn to cultivate the atmosphere. You fellowship with the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Ghost. This is prayer school. And we're talking about having the kind of intimate relationship with your Father allows Him to change the world around you through your prayers. To change the world around you through your prayers. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 27. Ephesians 4, verse 27. It says, Neither give place to the devil. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip to verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't give place to the devil by how you live, what you watch, who you hang out with. And don't grieve, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so everything you do or say is either going to give place to the devil, grieve the Holy Ghost, or give place to the Holy Ghost to grieve the devil. I want to say that again. What you watch... Who you hang out with, how you talk, is either going to grieve the Holy Ghost and give the devil permission to move in your life, or it's going to give place to the Holy Ghost to move, and when it does, that'll grieve the devil. I want you to think about what I'm saying. Who do you want to move in your life more, the Holy Ghost or the devil? It says, don't give place to the devil and don't grieve the Holy Ghost. Every time, every time you give Satan permission to move in your life, you're shutting down the Holy Ghost. Every time you give the Holy Ghost permission to move, you're shutting down the devil. Let me ask you this. I want you to think about tonight. Don't ever say this religious thing about a church service. Well, everybody was there. God wanted to be there. I will guarantee you with these empty chairs in this church tonight, with all those chairs stacked against that wall back there that could fill up this church tonight, there's been enough people visit this church in the 11 years I've been here. Everybody's not here. God wants here. Oh, well, you know, I just like a little church. Well, you and the devils are the same team then. The devil loves little churches. Little churches have no influence. Well, we just love our Ford no more. Jesus, Jesus said, Jesus said, go out to the highways and the byways. Compel them to come to my house. He said, my house is empty. He said, compel them to come into my house. He said, I want my house full. He said, go out, compel them to come in. And so tonight... 
It would please the Holy Ghost if every seat in this church were filled. Every time that Satan could get church people, just go do fun things all the time. Maybe not sin things, but just all the time, not hear the word of God, not be in the presence of God and God's people. Think about the early church, the book of Acts. Out of that 120, as there on the day of Pentecost, the power of God came down. As you read right before that, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it tells about how many people were there. It says Jesus taught them for 40 days and 40 nights. It says that Acts chapter 1 says there are about 500 of them there listening. Out of 500 listening, 120 showed up to pray. And so, there's so many more people that God wants to be in his house than what are. That who do you think gets grieved more when people miss church, the Holy Ghost or the devil? The Holy Ghost. Who do you think gets pleased more when people come to church? The Holy Ghost or the devil? You know, Dr. Barclay said something that I really like. How many know it's a good thing to go to the supermarket and buy groceries? It's a good thing to go to the beauty shop if you're a lady, want to get your hair cut and your nails done and all what they call them, the pedicures and all that kind of stuff. You know, all those kind of cures and all that stuff. Those are good things. Do you know that your manicurist or your hairstylist or the clerk, your favorite clerk at the store, they do good things for you if they have no anointing for you? Do you know the only place on earth God's ordained that Christians come to get anointed is in their church? You know, the only person in their life that God's ordained and anointed to have influence in their life, to change their life and give them answers about their families about their health, about their marriages, about their children, as their pastor and teacher of the Word of God. Okay, now, here's what Dr. Barclay always says, and I like this. Did you notice there's no resistance on you for you to go to Stater Brothers today? Or Food for Less? Or Vons? You know why there's no resistance? Because the devil doesn't care where you shop. There's no resistance about if you're going to eat at Del Taco, Carl's Jr.'s, or Jenny's. The devil doesn't care where you get it. You're not going to get any anointing at Jenny's. You're going to get any anointing at Vaughn's. You're going to get anointing right here. There's no anointing about what barber you go to. Where are you going to do those things? All those are, are good things, but there's no resistance because there's no anointing there. The only place there's resistance is for you to come to church. The devil will fight you tooth and nail. He'll throw 15 good things in front of your face you can do. But not to stop you going to the grocery store. All of a sudden, you don't get those phone calls. Can you do this? You don't get all these things. Oh, wow. Uh, We don't really need groceries this week, honey. We went last week. You know, why do we have to go to the grocery store every week? We shouldn't have to go to the grocery store every week. Well, if you want to eat, you better go to the grocery store every week. I heard a certain prophet in the Bible named Jesus one time say this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so all of a sudden, you've got that broke down thing laying there at your house. It's only laid there for two years. You get ready to walk out the door for church. 
All right, we're going this week, we're going this week, we're going to go there Sunday night. Pastor said Sunday night's the best service of the week, we're going Sunday night. All of a sudden, the little dingbat spirit gets on your shoulder. Isn't it about time you fix that? You can fix that. It's only laid there two years. Why do you get that thought, fix that now? When you get ready to go get fat down at the restaurant, you want to ever walk out the restaurant, you can fix that now. Okay, honey, we're not going to eat tonight. Go ahead. We're going to fast tonight because I've got to fix this. Or whatever else you could. Those thoughts don't come then. It's only on the way to church that all of a sudden you get a half a dozen things you see you had to do you could have done any time. James 2.23 can you handle enough to close this out? What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, there's a man in my life called the Holy Ghost. That years ago, he told me, I want to be your prayer partner. Then he told me that America needs a major move of God. And he told me prayer always precedes a major move of God. Then he told me he raises up leaders. Then he told me people get in unity. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christians that get serious enough that they say, well, the devil can't stop me from grocery shopping. He can't stop me from going to get my nails done. He's not going to stop me from going to church where I get anointed. James chapter 2, verse 23 And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and was imputed to him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. Now listen to this. We've been going just a little bit, but I know the anointing is still here for you to get down to what's going to change your life now. If Abraham could be called God's friend under the old covenant, how much more should we be able to be his friends in the new covenant? We're Abraham's spiritual seed through Jesus. We're sons and daughters of God through Jesus. Now listen, right now, this is going to get right in your spirit. And this is going to drive the whole point home of everything that God's had me say tonight. How many of you have sons and daughters that because of their lifestyles, sometimes you don't have intimate fellowship with them that your heart cries out for? Anybody? Anybody, anybody have kids that you wish you could be closer with them? Because of how they live, they're not getting close with you because of how you live. Reach out, you reach out to them, they reject you. Maybe because of your serious walk with the Lord. And because you won't compromise your biblical values condone how they live. They reject you and the fellowship you can have with them. Because you won't lay down your values. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Need to write this down. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship. I've got some of my children that I can fellowship with more than other of my children. Because of various stages of life where they are right now. By birth, your children will always be related to you by blood. Your children are always 
your seed by blood. As long as you don't totally turn your back on Jesus, live for the devil, you'll always have your spiritual relationship with him because of the new birth through his blood. But there's a difference between being related to Jesus through blood and have a fellowship with Jesus through the Spirit. i got to let that sink in because I want to make sure you get what I'm saying. I believe that everybody in this church tonight has a relationship with God through Jesus. But I know that everybody in this church tonight doesn't fellowship with God like he wants them to. One more time, I want to say this. You can look at your own lives, at your own family that you love. You have a lot of relatives that are always be related to you through the bloodline, through the family bloodline. But you have a lot of relatives you can't fellowship with them because your life convicts them and they reject being around you because you convict them. You don't condone living together. You don't condone the party lifestyle. You don't condone the cussing. You don't condone the whatever else they do. You don't condone that. You have a relationship, but you don't have a fellowship. There's a lot of Christians have that relationship because Jesus gave that to us through his death, burial, and resurrection, but we don't have the fellowship. I want to read you one more passage. And because I forgot to bring my living Bible, I'm going to do something you'll hardly ever see me do. I've got to bring it off my iPhone. We want to be a person that hangs out with God. I know how to do this in Jesus' name. There it is. Okay. Now listen, let me read this to you out of the Living Bible out of James chapter 4. God gave me these verses back in the early 1980s. I was so convicted, so convicted. So convicted, I was sold out, dedicated, 100% for Jesus. But the little things that were still hanging on in my life, when I read this passage, it cut me to the quick on the inside because the Word of God's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it caused me to want to change how I live. So listen to this. This is not the New Living Translation Pastor Dave uses. This is the real one. This is the Living Bible. But by, by the way, the New Living Translation, I've noticed with my Greek stuff that I read, pretty much lines up with the Greek words. It's so good, that New Living Translation. But I like this old Living Bible. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it because there's a whole army of evil desires within you? Don't anybody take a picture of me up here preaching off this, okay? <laughs> if you want to, you can. That's I was just joking. You want what you don't have, so you kill to get it. You long for what others have and can't afford it, so you start a fight to take it away from them. He's talking to Christians. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole aim is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And you know, in King James says, you have not because you asked that. I'm going to do, I'm going to pre one of David's lessons he could do. Maybe if he ends up doing it, then he got it off of Dad, which is from the Holy Ghost, too, because he's got the same Holy Ghost. You know, on Sunday morning, he's teaching things that Jesus didn't say. Well, let me give you a thing that Jesus didn't say. Be careful what you pray for. That's a religious demon. 
He said, you have not because you ask not. You spend time with God, you don't be careful what you pray for. You pray for the Word of God, what God puts in your heart. Pray for the Word of God, and you'll have it because He said you would. And so just get rid of that thing. Be careful what you pray for. You can pray for a mate because God said to. You can pray for money because God said to. You can pray for a better job because God wants to promote you. You can pray for godly relationships. You can pray for a church home. You can pray for your pastor. You can pray for a car. God wants your needs met. So you be careful what you pray for. No, you study your Bible and the Word of God will come out of you and you don't have to. Okay, praise the Lord. That's enough. Get off that. I just get so tired of hearing some religious sayings that Christians say because they've been deceived by the world. Okay, listen to this now. If this doesn't do some convicting with you, then you need to be closer to Jesus. Because this still causes me, this verses I'm going to read now, to make me really with fear and trembling judge myself all over again. He said, you're like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. How many know that the Bible, there's different covenants that God ordains? God ordained the marriage covenant. God ordains the blood covenant through the blood of Jesus with him. Started in the Old Testament, blood covenants. Well, God does not have a covenant called the covenant of living together. I'm not going down the homosexual road tonight. But God doesn't have the covenant of Adam and Steve, okay? It's the covenant of Adam and Eve. It's the covenant of marriage through the blood of Jesus. Somebody said, well, pastor, wake up the 21st century. America woke up the 21st century. Look what it's done for us. Amen. Look at all the judgments across America today. Somebody said, how can you say that, pastor? Well, the Bible, God always used a lot of severe weather changes as judgment. Oh, well. You're like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies... Making friends with God's enemies. Don't you realize making friends with God's enemies, the evil pleasures of the world? He didn't say the pleasures. He said the evil pleasures. You know, I think about some of you we get to hang out with sometimes a fellowship with. Man, it's nice to go to a lake in the desert. That's a pleasure I really like. It's nice, it's nice sometimes when I'm not in the lose a weight mode to hang out and down to Del Taco. Have some tacos and french fries at a pastor's cone, that's a big ice cream cone, which makes big pastors, which big pastors get in trouble with God, do they have to quit eating big ice cream cones so they can get back in shape? But anyway, he said, Jesus wants us to have an enjoyed life, but when you make friends with the evil pleasures of this world, and you guys can judge for yourselves what that would be in your life, things you shouldn't watch, places you shouldn't go, jokes you shouldn't tell, etc. It says, that makes you to me a God. I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasure of the unsaved world, you cannot also be a friend of God. I want to be a friend of God. And so when I see this, and he says, you're like an unfaithful wife, I'm not going to run around on the one I'm married to. I'm married to Jesus. Amen. And so, or what do you think the scripture means when it says the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, watches over us with tender jealousy? But he gives us more and more strength to stand against all such evil longings. As the scripture says, God gives strength to the humble, but sets himself against the proud and haughty. 
So give yourselves humbly to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't resist the Holy Ghost. Where the Holy Ghost convicts you, submit to him. Where the devil tempts you, resist him. And when you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. When you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Let your hearts be filled with God alone to make them pure and true to him. Let there be tears for the wrong things you've done. Let there be sorrow and sincere grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. And then when you realize you're worthless before the Lord, he'll lift you up and encourage you. Josh. Amen. And so I suggest you look at that in the Living Bible, not the New Living Testament, the Living Bible, and let those get into your heart. As we close out tonight, I want to give you an invitation to come up around the altar and pray and seek the Lord for a little bit. And if you can't really do that, then Stay in your chair, and if you're physically able, kneel by your chair, make a little altar. And, you know, I want, I want to say this. How many here have ever went to a, a Los Angeles ball game, or a ball game down at Anaheim? How long does those things last? A whole lot longer than an hour and a half church service. Oh, they're going into extra innings. I come to watch the ball game, so I want to stay and watch the ball game. Well, let's go into extra innings just a little bit. Let's just take some time to draw close to God and just say, okay, Lord, I'm even going to miss the start of Colombo tonight. I'm going to stay and pray for a little bit. Amen. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to Pastor. <laughs> we still watch the old things sometimes. But anyway, come up here and just walk around, kneel, pray, or in your seat. But the main thing is what I'm saying. You have faith to pray tonight for a little bit. And the things that we preach that you heard, fellowship with Jesus tonight. Talk to him. And if you don't know what to say, then just say something like this. Jesus, I love you. I want to know you better. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for helping my family. Whatever you want to say, just talk with him. And he may take you. He may take you for a few minutes like he did me. He may take you to some place in your family or to some place like a Nicaragua in your life and talk to you, but let him do that. Amen. Let's just spend a little time with him.